It was finished upon that cross. The words of Jesus on the cross really are treasure to us, but I will say that is one of my favorite phrases. It was finished. Thank you, worship team. Appreciate that so much. And uh, now as we come to uh, the message here, turn to Psalm chapter 116. Psalm 116. And uh, as I, Jess had asked me um, to preach this weekend, I pray about what to, what to speak and, uh, and where to preach from. And uh, this psalm has, uh, for a lot of different reasons, <laughs> has been just resonating with my soul. And so I, I pray that I communicate at least some of the blessing it has been to me and, and to study it. And... Um, I, I, I just, I really appreciate and treasure this psalm. So Psalm 116 is where we will be today. Let's read the text. <clears throat> psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompass me. The pains of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death. My tears, or or my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my, my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will repay my vow or pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. These again are the holy and errant words of our God. Let's just pause and ask God to help us now as we look into his scriptures. Father, again we come to you and ask for your help as we come to the preaching part of our worship service. It is what you have ordained and desire for your people. And so I ask for your empowerment, that Holy Spirit, you would empower now as, as uh, frail as I am in my humanity. And yet the privilege of coming to share the words of the Almighty God. We ask that you'd help us as we look into this text and that you would help us to understand it. You would help us to apply it. 
you would help us to worship you because of it. And so we ask for your help now. Even as the psalmist asks, I ask for your grace and your mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I come to this psalm, I want to think on this idea, this, this main idea. The person who has been saved by God is to live a life of grateful service and devotion to their Savior. The person who has been saved by God is to live a life of grateful service and devotion to their Savior. And this psalm is, is a psalm, it, its title is, I love you, I love the Lord. And yet this really is a psalm of salvation and deliverance. Whether it be from purely earthly calamity and trial or, or even sickness that, that could possibly be implied in this text, or from the greatest calamity and trial that we all face, which is sin. Regardless, this psalmist is coming to, is crying out to God to save them. And really we see here, we see here in this psalm a life journey. A life journey for one who is saved. And so as we begin the psalm, this idea here, the acceptance of salvation. Because as we, any of us that are in need of salvation, whatever it be, whether we be drowning in a swimming pool or from our sin... There has to be a point where we accept that salvation. And that's where we begin here as we come to this psalm. But he begins by saying, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas of mercy. And he's acknowledging that God came to him when he cried out, that God listened. And so the tone is set for this psalm. This is a psalm of great love and thankfulness for the working of God in the life of the psalmist. And it causes me to think of a passage which actually Graham put in as we began service today. Psalm 107, verse 1, I'll give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. And that ought to be our heart. If you are a child of God, that should constantly be your heart. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And that's how he begins his psalm then with saying, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. Why? Because he's heard me. He's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call him on him as long as I live. It's the idea that he loves the Lord. Why? Because God was there ready to listen. And it's really God who always is making the first move because he is the one who is ready. It's not us that are seeking until he's worked in our life and convicted us and brought us to the point where we need them to call him. He's working in it all and he's ready. And this is communicated even in 1 John 4, 13. 1 John 4, 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence of the day of judgment, because as he is also, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love Why? Because he first loved us. And that's where this psalmist begins with communicating his love for the Lord and then he's going to go on and he's really going to do what? Give his testimony. And this is a great passage to even think about and contemplate about how to share your testimony. Start out first with telling people, I love God. I love the Lord Jesus. And let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you what he has done for me. Verse 1 and 2, they communicate a relationship that is expressed through continual prayer. And, oh, child of God, if you've been saved, if God's delivered you, you ought to be in constant communication with him because it is a relationship. And, oh, that we would talk with and communicate with our Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5 Verses 16 and 17, they say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and then verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so again, the psalmist begins with that heart of prayer, that heart of thanksgiving, of gratitude, and we're going to see that as we move through this psalm. Because you see, salvation is not a mere set of rules or rituals. But it's entering into a relationship with God who has done everything to save us. Again, it's it's a relationship. And as we'll walk through and think about these things about being saved, Robert Leitner in his book, Sin, the Savior, and Salvation writes, I am convinced that that the one of the primary reasons for so much confusion among evangelicals today over major aspects of the biblical teaching of salvation stems from a failure to see the relation of it to sin and the Savior. Just as in all other areas of theology, so here these doctrines must not be seen in isolation for them, for each other. They are intrinsically related in Scripture and therefore must be in our thinking also. And so as we look at this, we're going to see the reality of his sin and struggles in this world and what God has done and his gratefulness for his salvation. And so then verse 3, it says, The snares of death encompassed me. The pains of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. The reality of conviction that comes upon the state of that heart, whether it be in just general day in, day out trials, or there could be communicated here the snares of death, the idea that they are sick and to the point of death. The pains of Sheol, the grave, Sheol oftentimes is throughout the Old Testament simply a grave, a hole in the ground, but oftentimes it's re- referring to that state once they have passed from death into the spiritual life, whether it be spiritual life or spiritual death. And so the end is coming. And there's this distress and this anguish. 
And the conviction, whether it be of that, that they are suffering from physical ailments, but I submit to you the most greatest of suffering that we ever face is the death that we face of being separated from God. And the psalmist cries out, O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. See, we all face death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And Colossians 2, 13 and 14, And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of us all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And once we have been convicted of our sin and realize the helpless state that we are in, there is only one thing that we can do, and that is to do what the psalmist does here, and that is cry out to God. There's a reality that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ returning, we all face the certainty of death. The question is, will we face death and move to life with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or the eternal death, the separation from God? And this psalmist is communicating and Challenging us what we should do. We should cry out, Oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. And there is an element as we look at that faith, that saving faith, and communicating with God that it should be done verbally, vocally. Romans 10 communicates this Verse uh, chapter 10, verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses that he is saved. And I'm not saying that it's totally necessary that you actually verbalize it because to use the illustration of reading, we can read without doing it audibly, right? We can read a book and we can read inside our, our, our head, our mind, and we can exercise our faith that way in communication to God in prayer. But again, it's that, that idea of communication that we need to cry out to God. We need to cry out to him. And so it's not necessarily the verbalizing, but it's again that communication with him, telling him that we believe who he is and what he has done for us and that we want him to save us and accept his work of salvation. 
And that's what the psalmist does. He cries out to God, and then he says what God has done. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. God is gracious. He is willing to save people. And he is righteous and does so everything correctly according to his law, his standard, his character, his holiness. Our God is merciful. Some say compassionate. Some translations say compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. And when he has brought low, he has saved me. Return, O my soul, to the rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For he delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. These are the things that God has done as he's crying out and asking to have his soul saved. And the realization then, in verse 10, I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And in that struggle, in that suffering, he believed and cried out to God. And it says, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. God is the only source of truth. He is the only place we can run to. Man and man's philosophies and the things that Satan has brought about through men, various and sundry doctrines and and just false religions desiring to rob Christ of his glory, all mankind are liars. We have to run to God for the truth. And I will say again, do you spend time in this book? Do you spend time going to the source of authority and truth? We have to be people of the book. And I know pastor at the beginning of the year has challenged to get a reading plan and to spend time systematically reading the scriptures, and I want to encourage that as well. You have to be spending time ingesting the word of truth because his word is true. It is life. And as we think about what all God has done here, I want you to stay focused here on this section from verses 5 through 11. And just kind of follow along as I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5. And to me, it's amazing how the Beatitudes correlate with what is being said here in Psalm 116. Um, So follow along as I read through. You're going to follow along from 5 through 11. But hear these things. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 2, it says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, see, shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
And I hope you see the contrast, the gracious of the Lord, the righteous. It talks about the merciful, that the Lord preserves the simple in that idea of blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. And that idea of being brought low, the bountifulness of what God will provide for us, the soul, the rest that he gives to our soul. That he's delivered us from death. That our, and our eyes from the tears and our feet from the stumbling and that we walk before the Lord and even the, the idea of all mankind are liars, that persecution we, we face if we choose to follow and walk with God. Paul communicates about the simpleness in a sense of the gospel and yet the profoundness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 and following. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For I consider your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not m- many were of noble birth. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so again, this section here, we see that back in Psalm 116, what all God has done. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. What all God has done through saving us. And then we come to the response. The acceptance of salvation or the one who is being saved to then the actions of the one who is saved. The actions of the one who has been saved. And so this one that has cried out, They were in need of God saving them, saving them from their distress, saving them from the distress of Sheol, saving their soul. And they acknowledge that salvation, what God has done, and then they come to the actions they're going to take and how they're going to live before God. Verse 12, what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? This is a question every believer should ask. Because of what God has done for me, the fact that it is finished at that cross, what shall I render to the Lord? What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? It should be a joy, a delight. It shouldn't even be something that we question, that we want to serve Jesus, for what he's done for us. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits for me? Lord, what would you have for me to do? 
Romans, Paul in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and verse 10, as well as we think about salvation, again, this response, the actions of the believer. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? That we would walk. We would walk in the good works that he's prepared for us. That we would desire to be obedient and follow him and serve him. That is the action the redeemed ought to have, the one who is saved. Then verse 13, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call up on the name of the Lord. Again, it's the idea that we, first of all, we have to accept. We have to accept and take the salvation that he offers, that he has communicated through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. We have to receive that if we want to be saved. We have to choose to believe And that's that idea of I will take up the cup of salvation, but then to lift it up as our life as a, an act of worship. Live our life as sacrifice to God. And what will we be doing? We will be picturing our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 26, 26. He says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That cup there that is taken, they were celebrating the Passover, and that goes back to that time of deliverance from Egypt when they were to take that lamb or that goat and they were to have it with them for, I think it was 14 days, and then they were to slaughter it and they were to take that blood and they were to apply it to the doorposts. And then the angel of death passed over them. And then they were delivered out of Egypt in God's wondrous, miraculous way that he did so. And again, that idea of the one that has shed his blood for us, which is what the Lord Jesus was doing. And we acknowledge that. And even as we come to the Lord's table, we're acknowledging what he did. And if you will, lifting up the cup of salvation. And I'll admit there are times, even in my own life, where I figuratively lift up the cup of salvation, saying, God, I'm so empty. I'm struggling in my distress and the things that I'm facing, and I have to come back and remember, God, you saved me. God, I can only get through this life with you. 
fill it up. But the cup was also used as a symbol of worship as well because the drink offering, they would take that, that wine and then they would have it in that, that cup and they would pour it out. Paul even refers to himself as being a drink offering already poured out. And the idea of that was that it was all dumped. And so I might put it this way to you, believer. Are you all in for Jesus? I know none of us can say 100% yeah. But is that your desire? Is that your desire to be all in for Jesus Christ? To be all in. What a beautiful picture that is with the cup of salvation. Verse 14, he says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his peoples. And so what he's committing to God, he's committing that he's going to be faithful to it and he's going to do it in front of all his people. He's not going to hide it. Similar to what shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. And then he's going to reiterate that again in verse 18 about paying his vows in front of all people. As an exhortation to us that if we say we're going to do something, especially as we vow it to the Lord, that we ought to do it. We ought to do it. And this is communicated throughout Scripture. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to, the, to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil. See, we need to be people or truthful, faithful people who follow through with our commitments, especially when we make them to the Lord. Because everything that we do, we should be doing for the Lord. Our lives whether we like it or not, are being observed by others. And if we proclaim and testify Christ, they're watching. They're watching. And we need to live that out. Even within this church body, think of the little ones that are running around that have yet to come to know Jesus. They're watching the bigger kids. And the bigger kids are watching the bigger kids. And of course, the adults are all watching the little kids. But I am so grateful for my history with this church. I remember teenagers I looked up to. I aspired to be like. I remember being a young kid chomping at the bit to get into youth group, to be in there and to, to get to have the fun and learn about Jesus more. And then I'm thankful for the gray-haired saints that I've gotten to know over the years at this church, that have loved and devoted themselves to Jesus and have time and depth that I still don't have. People are watching, and even as we live day in and day out in our workplaces and in our neighborhood, I actually remember for the sake of a personal illustration, public confession of sin. One time where at a previous house that we were living in, 
I had some harsh words with my wife. And my neighbor was outside while I was having those. And I actually walked up to George later and said, George, the way I spoke to my wife was wrong. And I think you heard me and will you ask, I want to ask for your forgiveness. See, people are watching. And I didn't know where George was at spiritually and I desired to see George saved. People are watching. Let us be people who are faithful to our vows and that we're unashamed to live them out in the presence of the Lord. And is that not what Paul said as we've read in Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And I, I will tell you, as we're at Memorial Day weekend, there's an element of me, yes, I am a patriot. I remember my, my grandfather, I, was, I don't remember how old I was, but we were at a parade, and the flag came by. My grandfather was a World War II vet, and he knocked the hat off my head and said, boy... I fought for that flag. I have friends who died for that flag. You will honor that flag. But now I'm going to step on some toes. Because there are times inside the church people are more concerned about being a patriot than they are about being a Christian. Yeah, I live in the United States of America and I pray for my country. And I want to be the best American citizen I can be with reflecting the heart of Paul, that I understand Paul, the Apostle Paul, he understood what it meant to be a Roman citizen. He understood what it meant to be a Jewish citizen. And he understood it well. And when did he appeal to it? For the sake of the gospel. Not to stand up and say, I'm a Roman. No, it was to get to Caesar, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with Caesar. Do we have that kind of heart where we would appeal to our American citizenship to the point where we would say, I want to get to Joe Biden to share Jesus Christ with him? I don't know I could always say that. But that ought to be my heart. Because my citizenship is in heaven. We're passing through if we're believers. This is not home. Home one day will be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But we ought to be people who are faithful to all of our vows that we are not ashamed of the gospel and that we live it out. Colossians 3.23 and verse 24, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Know that we would be faithful people because of what God has done saving us. And then an interesting verse that the psalmist has here, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And really this is the faith journey of one who is saved. And there will be a point where we do, we all face death. And death, regardless of how tragic, how sudden or expected it is, 
until the return of Christ, it is the accumulation of redemption as it is the finalization of the effects of redemption for the one that loved, is loved by God and is now home with him. I was reading through Spurgeon's works on, on the Psalms and he quotes this Albert Barnes. It says, it is of value or importance in such respects as the following. As it is the removal of another of the redeemed to glory. The addition of one more to the happy hosts above. As it is a new triumph of the work of redemption. Showing the power and the value of the work. As it often furnishes a more direct proof of the reality of religion, true religion, which the scriptures just talk about, the reality of religion than any abstract argument could do. What an argument for the truth of religion. What an illustration of its sustaining power. What a source of comfort to those who are about to die to reflect that religion does not leave the believer when he most needs its support and consolation that it can sustain us in the severest trial of our condition here, that it can illuminate what seems to us of all places most dark, cheerless, dismal, and repulsive. The valley of the shadow of death. John, I told you to pray. I would blubber. <laughs> I don't know how long I have with my mama. I read these words to the college group when Jonathan died. These words are a treasure. Why? Because for the child of God, the one who is saved, the one who has cried out, God, save my soul. That's the fullness of redemption. They're home. No longer to suffer. No longer to deal with the lies of humanity and their own lies. They're home with Jesus. They're home with their heavenly father. And I was actually talking with Carol before the service today and I just a joyous thought of that was when my youth pastor died. And I was talking with a buddy about that and, it, and uh, talking about things his wife had said, but Mike had this unique way about him. And I, I could just picture as soon as Mike entered the gates of heaven, cocking his head, he had this way to do it and going, dogs, and run it to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would love if we get to an to eternity, to on the greatest IMAX theater possible, God's theater, God's God cave, if you will, use the expression of man cave, to be able to watch. Could you imagine that? Getting to be in the crowd of heaven and watching as one comes in and watch, 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 watch him look at Jesus. Man, wouldn't that be cool? 
Why? Because precious, regardless of how tragic, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And then he says again, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. And what is he doing? He's acknowledging that he is from a household of faith, but that it is his faith. That it's his faith. And yet being grateful for that heritage that he has. 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt in, first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you. And yet I want to be careful to say, you cannot ride on the coattails of anybody's faith. You have to have your own. And excuse me, but I'm going to be pragmatic. I'm going to shut the mic off for a second. But it is, it's a personal faith. And we should be grateful for our heritage. And I will tell you, I have that. And I am grateful for the heritage I have with my parents, my grandparents. And others down back in our family tree. But they couldn't accept Christ for me. No matter how bad you want it for anybody, you cannot accept Christ for them. But I pray that as you want that for them, that you are pleading before the throne of grace. Spurgeon writes in a quote, and I don't have it, I'm going to pull it out from memory, but he talks about that, that we ought to be, if people are going to be damned, that they ought to be leaping over our outstretched arms as we are pleading with and imploring, imploring for them to come to know Christ. That ought to be our heart. And the psalmist here is communicating that it is personal with him. Oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant and the son of your maidservant. It is you who have loosed my bonds. And then again, we see this, this heart of thanksgiving. I will offer to you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Again, that communion, that communication with God. And I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all those peoples in the court the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, that he is going to be faithful to the Lord and he's going to follow through in obedience. And then this psalm ends with the phrase, praise the Lord. And this word also could be hallelujah. Hallelujah. That ought to be the heart of the believer as we think about our life's journey and for the one that is at the end of their life's journey and they're looking Back and yet looking to home, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so whether we interpret the psalm as God's deliverance from calamity and trials or the greatest of calamity and trial, which is being dead in our trespasses and sin, the person has been saved by God. And as they are to live a life of grateful service and devotion to 
their Savior. The person who has been saved by God is to live a life of grateful service and devotion to their Savior. And there was a phrase that the, the, these Moravian missionaries chanted as they, there was a group of them that actually sold themselves into slavery, slavery to reach a people's group. And as they boarded that ship to go into slavery to do missionary work, they chanted out this phrase, may the, lamb, may the lamb receive the reward of his sufferings. May the lamb receive the reward of his sufferings. That ought to be the heart of the believer. Andrew Peterson writes in some lyrics as we think about then the Lord of Jesus and we, I even see the Lord Jesus in this with what all he went through with his earthly life here, the struggles, the hardships he faced and even in the Garden of Gethsemane crying out, God, if there be any way, let this path cup pass from me yet not my will but thine be done and then he and he had lifted up that cup which would be the the new covenant in his blood but andrew peterson in a song that he wrote he says and the man of all sorrows he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the hearts that he bought our god knows our God knows and understands the pain of suffering, the pain of loss, like nobody else. The Heavenly Father knows it like nobody else. He gave his only son. The Lord Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. Again, what a God we serve. Praise the Lord. And thus I close with Revelation 5, verse 12 saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. What a great God. Oh, child of God, I challenge you to serve him, to be so faithfully, to live out your life unashamed. Those of you that are closer to going home to be with Jesus, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because you'll be home. You will be home. Father God, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for this psalm and how it communicates the life journey of being in distress and crying out to God and experiencing his salvation and desiring to be faithful and serve him and praising him and living a life of gratitude, of thankfulness and an act of worship day in and day out. Father, I pray that for your people here. I pray that for myself, my, my brothers and sisters, that we would live such a life as we have been saved that we would look back and remember the day of, that we cried out to God, save my soul. And that we would rejoice over what you've done. And that we would have a desire, a desire to walk in obedience. A desire to live faithfully. At the end of it all, whether it be the end of another day here on planet earth, or at the end of life, before we go home, that we would say, praise the Lord. Father, if there's one that does not know Jesus yet, they are in that place of distress. I pray that they would see the heart of an amazing God 
who took care of all the problem. That the Father gave his only Son, that the only Son went and took on human flesh, came to this earth, he suffered at the hands of those he created, he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sins, that it is finished at the cross. That they would come to know Jesus. So Father, help us. Help us now to respond in an act of worship to hearing the word of God preached. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.